Welcome to Business Lines State of the Economy podcast where you will find insight analysis and the story behind the numbers. Hello everybody welcome to the BL State of the Economy podcast. I am Shrivaj from Business Line and today we have a very interesting topic at hand which is the recently enacted Competition Amendment Act 2023. The latest amendment act which received presidential assent on April 11th is the outcome of the most comprehensive review exercise undertaken by the government on this legislation since its original enactment in 2002 to help us better understand the salient features of this amendment act and the nuances behind the various newly introduced provisions We have with us Samir Gandhi, co-founder of Axiom Five Law Chambers. Samir brings with him over two decades of experience in this space and has been advising clients on all aspects of competition law. He has a ringside view of the development of this law in India. Samir has been deeply engaged with the formulation of competition policy in India since its inception. He was a member of the ad hoc group advising the Competition Commission of India on the formulation of its merger regulations. He was also a special government invitee to the Competition Law Review Committee. Welcome to the BL podcast Samir. Thank you Shivat, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. So Samir, there is so much of uh, media space and chatter about the competition amendment act which got through parliament recently and uh, one of the points is this law is seen as one of the uh, most comprehensive amendments brought about by the government uh, since the act started rolling out in 2009 effectively so help us understand what are your views about the amendment and then i will get into specifics on the new features absolutely shivats the competition uh, amendment act of 2023 does as you say shivats pretty much revamp our infrastructure surrounding how we uh, regulate you know competitive conditions in the market i think it's a welcome change it's been now already over a decade almost 13 or 14 years since this law was enforced the law itself dates back to uh, considerably earlier than that so i think it's it's a welcome change i think it was much needed it has gone through many rounds of discussion and consultation with a numberous uh, a number of stakeholders and so i think uh, has been a long time in the coming but uh, it's it's a welcome change and it does bring forward like some pretty uh, significant changes to the way that markets are regulated by the competition regulator here in india and we can discuss some of those during the podcast so samir what according to you are some of the new features uh, that have become part of the law and which industry should take notice of right shivat so i think you know there are three key new features i think that there are a number of changes many of these are worthy of discussion but uh just so that we address the three top issues that i think uh, that this law introduces 
The first is, Shivats, you will understand that, you know, in the many years of its enforcement, the Competition Commission was often, you know, criticized for not having been able to recover the significant penalties it was actually imposing. Uh, there was significant delay in enforcing its orders because of uh, appellate review and just the amount of time that courts take to review appeals in India. Uh, so to that extent, there is the introduction of the settlements and commitments mechanism. This is very much in line with what competition authorities across the world have. And I think the Competition Commission now having the power to address competition concerns in a timely fashion without having to wait for extended uh, judicial review, but also having spending uh, a couple of years in uh, going through the process of investigation. I think this is a win-win for both industry as well as the regulator. And it is uh, really one of those tools which allows the commission to, uh, you know, to arrive at a practical solution to a problem uh, rather than litigate it in, uh, in great deals of detail. So I think this, in my view, would be the top and the most significant, most uh, important change to the Competition Act. I think the second point is the MA uh, or combinations as we call them under the Competition Act. Uh, MA, only big ticket MA has ever been reviewed by the Competition Commission. I think this comes from uh, decades of uh, over regulation in India. I think the, at the time at which the Act was enforced in 2009, uh, there was some skepticism that you know, merger review could take a, a protracted period of time. Uh, the Commission has done very well. Uh, in the 11 or 12 years of merger enforcement. So I think the government has decided that in order to empower the commission even further, it has allowed it a power to review transactions, which may not be very large in terms of the assets or the turnover, which are the traditional metrics of what determines uh, notification in India. It is to basically capture tech deals, for example, or pharmaceutical deals which are marked by innovation where the target company might not be very big but the price which is being paid for the acquisition of that target company might be significant so this new threshold of what we call transaction size or the deal value that is being paid uh, those coming into the net of notifiable mergers or combinations for the cci is another pretty significant change in my view and the third is a larger, you know, larger question about uh, the carrot and stick approach taken by the Competition Commission in addressing anti-competitive behavior. The Commission has been given now considerable powers to impose, you know, up to ten percent of global turnover. Uh, that is the stick in its hand, and the carrot that it has been given over and above what it already had is what we call a leniency plus system, by which parties who are part of a cartel are further incentivized to blow the whistle uh, on an additional uh, anti-competitive activity which uh, they may have to report. So in my view, Shivats, these are the three big changes that the Competition Act really uh, introduces. There are many others, of course, but from an industry standpoint, I think these are the ones which make the, the biggest kind of splash. Great. So let us uh, make a deep dive into each one of those three areas. So. If I can start with uh, global turnover, right? Now, global turnover provision was a sort of a bolt from the blue uh, for all observers of 
the legislative process in which the competition amendments happened right first of all there was no consultation uh, public consultation on on this provision secondly even the standing committee on finance made no reference to such a recommendation so help me understand or help our listeners understand the significance of this is this government move to introduce global turnover an attempt to get back at the big tech and their anti competitive conduct and uh, is such a practice prevalent in other jurisdictions and what do you think could have been the motive behind uh, uh, introducing this provision in the last minute and uh, is the government trying to negate any of the supreme court judgments on this front thanks shivat there are plenty of questions in your in yeah, your i'm so question. sorry about it i will i no, no. significant right absolutely absolutely and we we'll, let's try and address uh, some of those are on the big picture as you say that this is certainly something that has uh, set the proverbial cat amongst the pigeons it has caused a significant amount of discussion amongst the business community and the reason for it is one part of it is shivat let's put this into perspective as i had mentioned at the beginning of this podcast the entire uh, process and this is to both the government's credit as well as to the credit of the competition commission the entire process through which these amendments have uh, been discussed and negotiated over you know well over 3 4 5 years uh, has been painstaking there was the competition law review committee of which i was a part uh, thereafter there was the standing committee uh, you know which one uh, had the opportunity to make a presentation before so there have been several discussions at various levels and the introduction of the uh, global turnover issue as you mentioned uh, has not been uh, part of any of those earlier discussions so to that extent it it is correct that this was uh, somewhat of a surprise uh, bear in mind also that uh, the competition act as it was earlier framed uh, allowed the competition commission to impose a penalty of uh, 10% of the turnover of the enterprise which was then subsequently interpreted through decisions of the supreme court as being 10% of the relevant turnover ie the turnover that the company made uh which was actually responsible for the anti competitive conduct so if you were a multi product company uh, and you also made cement uh, the 10% of turnover would be only the turnover which was attributable to cement if that was in fact the product that you were being investigated for now what this amendment does is effectively make it 10% of turnover of all products so it's not just the global turnover shivats it is important to note that this will be become 10% of turnover of the company as a whole number 1 and number 2 that the upper cap will be 10% of the global turnover which means that uh, if the company which has been found to be violating the provisions of the competition act has turnover in other jurisdictions as well then all of that turnover can be used as the basis for computing the penalty does this also cover services yes absolutely this covers 10% of turnover uh, of a company is in fact the turnover of from uh, accrued from the you know sale of goods and services 
So it will be the turnover which is taken from the balance sheet of the company for the period of uh, contravention. Uh, and to that extent, you know, as we all know, accounting norms cover both goods as well as services. Okay, thanks for that. Yeah. Super. So I was just uh, I was just saying that there were two things to note. A is that the turnover is no longer limited to the turnover only of the product in question, and B the turnover is no longer limited only to the turnover which uh, comes from India. So if there is a company uh, which is being investigated for a cartel, for example, and the Competition Commission decides to impose a penalty on its turnover, if the cartel is for a product, let's call it widgets that the percentage of turnover will be not only from the manufacturer of widgets, but for the manufacturer of all products uh, which part, uh, form part of its turnover in the balance sheet, not just in India, but globally as well. So that is a significant uh, change. Uh, it does uh, run contrary to the so-called principle of proportionality, which the Supreme Court had laid down in the Excel Corp decision, but it is not uncommon. Let me put it this way. It is something which has happened in other jurisdictions in Europe as well. Uh, there is the power to the competition agency to impose a penalty of up to 10% of turnover. And then the second thing is to note is that uh, it is also incumbent. The statute now mandates that the CCI will actually frame penalty guidelines. So it's true, Shivats, that this has caught the industry by surprise. It has caught uh, most of us by surprise uh, because it was not discussed in any great detail. But for what it's worth, I think it's important to note that uh, we are hopeful that the guidelines that the Competition Commission uh, must frame, uh, required to frame under the Competition Act, will provide greater clarity, uh, will provide some degree of uh, proportionality and even-handedness in the way that this is uh, that this is actually computed. And I think to your final question about uh, does this apply only to tech companies, I think uh, I, I should underline over here contrary, this is sector agnostic, Shivats. Uh, there is nothing here to suggest, at least in the language contained in the amendment, nothing here to suggest that the turnover will be limited uh, only in those cases where there are investigations against tech companies. In fact, you could have uh, large Indian industrial houses who, for example, are uh, investigated by the Competition Commission for their uh, behavior. And these industrial houses may have significant sales from outside. Today, our uh, Indian companies have gone all over the world. They are true multinational companies. And uh, there is a good chance that whether you make uh, tires or automotives or steel or whatever it is that you do, uh, that the commission is now going to have the power to impose 10% of your global turnover across the board. Uh, so this is going to affect companies across the board. It is certainly not limited to the tech sector. The, the silver lining to this is really that the commission is duty bound to come out with penalty guidelines. Again, bear in mind, these are guidelines and not regulations. There is a difference between the two. But we look forward to seeing uh, some degree of clarity coming from those guidelines. Great. So thank you for that. And uh, let's move on to the uh, other much talked about uh, feature or of the amendments, which is the deal value threshold, right? Now, uh, let me directly get to the bone of contention or the much talked about aspect of this uh, amendment is that uh, what do you think or how do you think will the CCI go about 
fashioning the regulations to establish the india connect i i guess if i if i read the provision right it it requires them to come up with regulations on how they on what parameters will they uh, establish the india connect even if the transactions are happening outside indian borders what do you think how do you think should cci go about it and what kind of parameters should be the basis for triggering the deal value threshold so let, let's take a step back for because you know mergers and acquisitions is important for india inc but the regulation of combinations is not something which comes intuitively to mind to perhaps many of your listeners and i think it's important to step back and say that effectively in india uh, so far at least uh, from 2011 may of 2011 till so far we have had to mandatorily notify big ticket mna transactions where the value of assets and turnover of the acquirer and the target company or the acquirer group and the target company collectively exceeded certain value of monetary and asset thresholds right what that has meant is that in the course of uh, the over one decade of merger control as we call it in india only the really larger transactions have had to be notified to the competition commission smaller transactions where either the target company itself was too small were exempt or smaller transactions where the assets and turnover of the acquirer company and the target company were below the larger uh, rather generous asset and turnover thresholds were also exempt the problem came about when there were some transactions which the commission felt that it ought to have had the power to review which it did not have the power to review because these transactions involved the acquisition of relatively small companies but companies which nevertheless had a significant market share or had significant potential in the market of uh, of being uh, of being a powerhouse uh, the example that is often given is the facebook whatsapp acquisition where whatsapp was a small company at the time at which it was acquired but facebook paid a significant amount of money in order for it to acquire it uh, ironically of course the transaction was notified in several jurisdictions and cleared but it was not no notified in india because whatsapp was a small entity at that time the logic behind what we call transaction value is wherever a large amount of money is being paid even for a small company the cci should have the power to review such transactions now here i will just point out a few things before jumping into what the regulations should look like uh, shivan but i think the first issue over here is that again bear in mind that india has come out of decades of you know command and control the license raj so we were always very keen that as far as merger control is concerned that the cci adopted a light touch and to its credit in the course of its uh, enforcement since 2011 all the way up to now over 12 years it has done a fantastic job of clearing transactions quickly and it has cleared them uh, you know in a time bound way and it has been very clear to parties as to what they need to notify to the cci in the first place the deal value or transaction size thresholds are not sector specific in other words they are sector agnostic they will apply across the board to all mna transactions where the value of what is being paid by the acquirer 
is significant in it. And the government has defined what this significant value is as being 2000 crore Indian rupees. Now, the issue here, of course, is that it has created another layer of complexity for companies to determine whether they need to notify in India. And this has, in some sense, created some additional reporting requirements where there may be smaller transactions where it, which are taking place but which require to go through the Indian merger review process. Bear in mind that these could be global transactions right, where the value of what is being purchased is exceeds the 2000 crore threshold. But it is unclear as of now as to how companies will be assessed for what we call the India nexus, which means how much of this value must be attributable to Indian operations. And I think here, Srivats, uh, is the question that you were asking, which is that the commission is going to need to be quite clear and specific as to how this India nexus uh, is actually determined, how it is you will be able to show that this transaction has some connection with competition in India. Is it the value of sales? Is it the uh, value of uh, the person who is exiting the market, uh, the shares? So there are uh, numerous questions which need to be answered in order for us to determine what actually the India nexus can be. So in your view, what should be the ideal approach? Again, Shivats, I think that this requires uh, you know, further discussion. Uh, I think that there is no clear sense of what uh, should be the clear India nexus. I agree to your point that it is a sector agnostic uh, provision that is getting introduced. But on the back of everybody's mind is that the attempt is to look at, uh, target those killer acquisitions in the digital markets, right? So how how will you look at uh, the parameters relating to, to the digital markets? Should it be on the number of users in India or should it be on the number of market or on the market share principle? What should be the approach? So this is the, uh, you've hit the nail on the head, Shivat, which is that this is in some sense uh, the predicament that we find ourselves in. If the deal value thresholds were being introduced to address only uh, so-called killer acquisitions in the tech sector, it would have been a little easier for us to determine whether it is number of users, whether it is market share, how do you denominate India Nexus? The problem is indeed that this applies across the board. This applies as much to a cement acquisition as it would to a tech acquisition, as it would to a healthcare acquisition. So for us to simply say that the number of users, for example, should be the basis for determining India Nexus or the market share should be the basis for determining India Nexus, I think would only be addressing you know, half the problem. So my sense is that the debate over here is going to be, how do we arrive at a set of parameters, which when uh, applied across the board, uh, will make some sense in determining whether there is India nexus or not. Because bear in mind, if you start looking into, for example, market share, and you have had an acquisition, you will then need to determine what the market is. 
So there is a, a secondary question as to what is the market into which the acquisition is being made. And this becomes difficult exercise for a company to undertake uh, at the time at which the transaction document is going to be signed. How are they to anticipate how the market is going to be defined for the purposes of computing, whether they will have nexus to Indian or to the Indian market or not? So there are a number of uh, issues over here. And I think the uh, issue starts from the fact that while this might have been designed to address so-called killer acquisitions in the tech sector, it has been made applicable across the board. And this is something that was pointed out also to the Standing Committee on Finance at the time of those deliberations to suggest that uh, let us address the problem for which uh, this instrument is being uh, introduced rather than making it uh, sector agnostic, because uh, you do run the risk of, on one hand, uh, you know, creating more hurdles for India Inc. Uh, of notifying these transactions. It is true that the commission has done a fantastic job of clearing these transactions in a timely way. But bear in mind that even the uh, necessity for notifying some of these transactions is uh, problematic, uh, or at least is time consuming for some of these companies who want to make the acquisition quickly, Shivas. Does that answer your question? Yeah, so what comes out is that though the narrative that came out on the intent behind this deal value threshold is to uh, look at killer acquisitions in digital markets, but the way the provisions have been fashioned, it applies to all sectors. And therefore, the problem of regulations are going to hit us on how do you decide the India Connect. I think you've hit the nail on the head, Shrivats. Uh, absolutely correct, which is that it is because of this dichotomy. On mm -hmm. one hand, they have designed this tool in order to address a very specific concern, i.e. Uh, killer acquisitions in the tech sector. But mm -hmm. they have implemented this tool to apply mm -hmm. across the board. And therefore, uh, in determining India Nexus, you're going to have to look at uh, the various factors quite closely. Uh, to make sure that this does not result in over-regulation and yet it empowers the commission to catch the deals that matter. My last point uh, is that let's talk about the point number one, the key feature that you spoke about on settlement and commitment. The only point I have, Samir, here is that if you could also throw some light on the cartel aspect. If I understood right, there was some toing and froing and finally cartels, if I understood it right, cartels are also getting covered under settlement and commitment. Am I right there? Uh, no, so Shivats, unfortunately, cartels have been left out of the settlement and commitment paradigm. So okay. you cannot uh, settle uh, or offer a commitment as far as cartel conduct is concerned. The intuition behind that is that, look, cartels are the most egregious form of anti-competitive behavior. Uh, they affect the market in the worst possible way. So we have a situation where the standing committee recommended it, but the government did not agree to it. Indeed. And the standing committee recommended it for some very practical reasons. Uh, the standing committee, in my view, at least uh, perhaps did the right thing by suggesting that, you know, that we allow uh, settlements and or commitments with respect to cartel activities. And the reason for that is bear in mind that from a government perspective, Shivats, from an institutional efficiency perspective, I think the government would like to be able to see that some of the uh, you know penalties which are actually being imposed 
uh, are uh, resolved and collected and that the market anomalies are quickly addressed. Now, this is what settlements and commitments allow the government or the competition commission to do. But a majority of the penalties that have been imposed, a significant majority of the penalties that have been imposed and the anti-competitive behavior that the commission has found is with respect to cartels. So it, uh, in some sense, the question to be asked here is that, yes, it is true that cartels are the most egregious form of behavior. And therefore, perhaps you should not allow uh, a company who has engaged in this cartel activity to then subsequently either settle or offer a commitment. Uh, but on the other hand, it also uh, does limit the uh, ability of a cartel participant to settle the matter and therefore the penalty to be recovered and for the anti-competitive conditions to be quickly addressed. Uh, instead, it creates an incentive for a cartel participant to litigate it all the way up to the Supreme Court. Uh, for example, that is precisely what is happening in the cement cartel case, where over six and a half thousand crores of penalties was imposed, but uh, not very much of that has actually been recovered. And the reason for that is because for the last uh, couple of years, this has been a pending appeal. Great. So what aspect of regulations should one uh, look at for settlement and commitment amendment? Is there a particular nuance that you would like to throw light on? Yeah, Shivats, I think the biggest concern or question for a party who is thinking or considering entering into a settlement or a commitment, uh, and bear in mind a settlement involves the payment of a settlement fee there is some quantum that a party is going to need to pay as a settlement fee. That quantum, uh, while it has not been called a penalty, is going to be, uh, let's say, predicated on the overall penalty that perhaps uh, could have been payable had that party opted not to settle and to go ahead and go through the process of investigation by the CCI. So I think the first question is in, uh, you know, party's mind is going to be is that, look, does it make sense for us to settle this case? If the commission wants to make the settlement scheme an attractive one, then the so-called settlement fee that it uh, decides, the formula for the fixation of the settlement fee that it decides, uh, must be reasonable, must be fair-handed in a way such that when a party is considering the settlement option, uh, it is not put off by a, a significant settlement uh, fee because bear in mind, Shivats, another change that has been introduced is that uh, even after parties have settled, uh, there is a possibility for a compensation claim to be made at the, the National Company Law Appellate Tribunal. So as far as a company is concerned, uh, he or she is thinking about, okay, I am happy to uh, terminate the proceedings now instead of continuing to litigate this before the CCI. I'm happy to pay a reasonable uh, settlement fee in order for me to get that certainty of the term, uh, the proceedings will be terminated. Uh, but I am not going to be so happy if that settlement fee is uh, significantly high. And uh, I am then also open to uh, claims for compensation before the National Company Law Appellate Tribunal. Uh, the cost-benefit analysis may not add up if the, the CCI does not address this issue in the regulation. Samir, I, I would like to wrap up this conversation with my last question, right? Since you have highlighted to our listeners the top three features of this new law and the CCI is now next going to frame regulations. 
So is there visibility from your end as to which will be the first set of regulations that will be exposed for public comments from the regulator in the coming days? No, Shivat. I think that uh, the commission has, and quite rightfully so, taken upon itself to go through the various regulations. There are at least four or five sets of regulations or regulations and guidelines that the commission needs to draft in order for uh, you know some of these amended provisions to go live. Uh, I can't imagine that any one set of uh, regulations is going to take priority over the other. I think uh, all of these will be done sequentially. All of them will be given the due thing. So I don't think we have any clear line of sight as to what will come first. But we're confident that there will be a period of, of uh, debate and discussion. I can imagine, given the amount of concern that has come out as a result of this penalty being up to 10% of global turnover across all products, that the commission is going to need to discuss in some detail uh, the so-called penalty guidelines. But bear in mind, unlike you know the other regulations, which uh, is in some, so some form a delegated legislation and therefore there is a process to be followed, uh, guidelines are not uh, in the same, uh, uh, it's not, uh, not the same level. In other words, they are not delegated legislation. It is for the commission in its wisdom to consult or not to consult. But yet I view this as being the most important set of guidelines that the commission would benefit from uh, industry views right in the beginning because it is going to apply across the board. Since the law provides that the government can notify these provisions on different dates, is, the, is there, in your view, a possibility of government holding back implementation of any of these three? I mean, I have no reason to believe that the government, once it has gone through the process of, uh, you know, having the bill passed through a stormy session of parliament, thereafter getting presidential approval in, in, quick, uh, in quick time, is now going to find any reason for it to delay notification of the provisions once the regulations are in shape. If anything, I would imagine that the delay would may come about because of the lack of quorum. Framing the regulations in themselves will require the Competition Commission of India to sign off on what those regulations look like. Uh, and for that to happen, you know, there has to be a meeting of the commission. And in those meetings of the commission, there has to be a quorum. Uh, that quorum currently, as we all know, does not exist. So I think the delay is probably going to be more on that count, Shivats, than any other uh, larger uh, consideration as to what should come first. But there should be a time period for consultation, right? To exposing it to industry, public, stakeholders, and then uh, fine-tuning the draft regulation, and then going to the commission for final approval. Absolutely. I, I mean, I cannot underscore uh, enough the importance of having meaningful consultations. This cannot be tick-the-box consultations. We all know that uh, the Act itself requires the Competition Commission to conduct these consultations before framing any regulations. Uh, but it should not be the case that uh, you know the, uh, the consultations are not meaningful. An adequate amount of time uh, must be given. Uh, bear in mind that there are companies both in India and outside of India who are going to be affected. So I, I am hopeful and I'm confident that the commission will, uh, in keeping with the government's larger spirit of consultation that it has followed through and through this process, uh, will get, give an adequate time for companies and parties and, and individuals to actually provide meaningful consultations. 
and that these will be heeded it cannot be again like i mentioned a tick the box exercise where uh, you know comments are received and and filed away but uh, not considered so i think uh, both are important to do so do you see any of the regulations becoming a reality this fiscal absolutely i have no reason to believe that uh, when you say this fiscal we are you know in april 23 24 uh, exactly so we have uh, a full uh, year ahead of us 365 days almost mm. uh, and i have every reason to believe that uh, even with meaningful consultations uh, and a period of time the commission will be able to introduce some of these provided of course that you know the larger question of its own quorum uh, is addressed quickly great so thank you so much samir that was excellent conversation and for sharing your perspective on the competition law and the nuances behind those critical provisions that have been introduced in the amendment law thank you thank you shivas thank you for having me on this